In Acts chapter 19, as we mentioned earlier, Acts 19. And I want you to notice what the mayor, if you will, of Ephesus said about the uproar, the riot going on that was instigated by these idol worshipers, angry with Paul and his disciples because people were getting saved and then throwing away their silver idols of Diana, and therefore they were losing money. Chapter 19, verse 40, look at it. For we are in danger to be called, and again, this is the mayor, we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may have given account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly, and then you'll notice chapter 20 begins, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples. Now think about these mayor's words in verse 40 before we pray, this day's uproar. It's a really a fitting clause in as much as the Roman Empire at this time in the first century was full of uproars. I mean, basically, it was here a clash, there a mob, here a dispute, there a contention, it was always a matter of the sword and the iron hand when it came to Rome. And that's why, of course, that none of the apostles, we all know their names and have named children and grandchildren after, none of the apostles lived without either dying in martyrdom or, in John's case, exile. This day's uproar, interesting, right? Today's uproar kind of reminds me of cable news, today's news. It's always something. And on this day, these believers almost died in that riot. Chapter 20, verse 1, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them. Yeah, he embraced them. New Testament Christianity was a daily, even hourly walk of faith. And if you're wondering why we're taking so many weeks, as we have the past several weeks, emphasizing This critical perspective on eternity, on days, and time, and life. Then understand that we in America are getting ever closer to the kind of life that our forefathers and mothers in the faith lived, as well as many of our brothers and sisters do live now in other parts of the world. As Brother Reginald mentioned, that not everybody has the freedom we have in this nation. Understanding the truth, therefore, about life, about the brevity of life, and the gift of what a single day is, and the glory of eternity, today's uproar. This is what keeps Christians from obsessing over little things, little issues that don't matter. Obsessing over insignificant things that Satan uses to obscure and or distract us from the big and the wonderful things that truly do matter. And nowhere in this study is this more evident, more helpful than in the book of Acts. So I think in continuation of this theme, we have to look carefully at the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, please help us tonight. I pray, God, our hearts will be open and our ears will be open for what the Spirit has to say. What a marvel your word is. What a power. What a two-edged sword. And how desperately we need our hearts and our minds to be adjusted and corrected from the deceit and the lies of this world. May tonight be one of those adjustments, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want you to look again in the book of Acts. Notice chapter 20 and this constant repetition by Luke. Luke's a historian, as you know, of a calendar and a timetable. We begin with verse 3. And there abode, and there abode three months. Verse 6. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to trust in five days, where we abode seven days. Verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart, when on the morrow, tomorrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Verse 15, we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trigilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. That's three times in one verse. We've actually preached on that one verse. Three times the Bible uses the exact same expression and word to detail how the disciples of Christ, the Apostle Paul and others, how they lived their, their lives in faith. And it details how these disciples showing us how we ought to live as well. In fact, later in Acts 27, the same thing happens again. Acts 27, verse 7, he says, And the next day we touched at Sidon. And then it says, The next day we lightened the ship. And then after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Petoli. There it is again. I mean, over and again, the simple, same expression. And while there are all kinds of historical, geographical information behind these simple statements, we went from here to there and here to there and here to there, it's really the statements themselves. It's how the Holy Spirit outlines this, this litany of one hour following another, one day following another day that is so revealing. Most of you will know this, but Acts chapter 20 is a chapter about a young man named Eutychus. Eutychus was up in a window. Paul preached long, off past midnight. And he fell asleep and he slumped down and he fell off the window and he died right there in church. Imagine that scene. But he was miraculously brought to life. That's what this chapter is about. It is a chapter about Paul's powerful, poignant goodbye to all of his converts who were at the church at Ephesus. These are the bookends of this chapter. The, the, the end bookend, the right-end bookend, if you'll look at verse 36 at the end of the chapter, says this, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. Wow, what a powerful scene. Kneeling there in the sand on the shore, weeping. After three years, this is the longest he had ever stayed in one place, ever. And all of his converts, and they realize they're never going to see him again on this earth. And that's the right book in. Here's the other one. Look at verse 10. Go back to verse 10. Then Paul went down and fell on him. That's the young man. And embracing him said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Raised to life. That's Acts 20. And what we call all of this, we call it what? Apostolic ministry. Wow. How, do, how about being a part of apostolic ministry? But here's my question. And here's the emphasis in the Bible itself that we should not miss. What about all the verses in between those two bookends? What about the next day we sailed here and the next day we lightened the ship and the next day we sailed here and then we went there and then we, we, we arrived here? It sounds more like Twitter in those cases than it does the Word of God. Just an update, an update, an update. Except, beloved, this is the Word of God. 
And precisely because it is the word of God about a child of God who's a servant of God doing the will of God that forever blessed the kingdom of God, all of these details that Luke was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit, all of them inform us and enlighten us about how to live now, about how we're supposed to live in this present world. And once again, it's the same things. Three, in this case, the first one, the most obvious reminder, is a lesson that, number one, every day is meaningful. Now think about the word meaningful. It means full of meaning. Every day is full of meaning. Now you might be wondering, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, think for a moment about what this whole narrative says. Not only is there this very powerful unforgettable scene that we mention of a boy who dies passes away in church dies and 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 then is raised to life again right in front of everybody not only is it a chapter about this apostle of god giving his final farewell his goodbye with much tears and weeping but also there are some other meaningful days look at chapter 20 verse 6 it says, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. All right. Notice that Luke mentions these are the days of unleavened bread. That's very meaningful for the Jews, including a Jew like Paul. These are meaningful special days for all of the Jewish people. It's a reference to the Jewish calendar. And those holy days leading up to a very, very meaningful day, which is called Passover. And of course, 50 days after Passover, there's another special day, both for the Jews and the apostles. Look at verse 16. The last line says that Paul hasted so that if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem, when? On the day of Pentecost. So look, think about it. In this one chapter, you have Pentecost. There's Passover. There are the days of unleavened bread. Those are holy days. And that's not all. Look at verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. What's the first day of the week? That's Sunday. You know what that is? That's resurrection day. And it's certainly a special day, so much so that they are observing communion, the Bible shows us, on that day. All right, so again, here are these meaningful days. They're observed by Paul. And all of these believers, they're mentioned in this one chapter and we're tempted to say, all of us in this room, those are the big days, right? Those are the holy days. A youth is raised from the dead. A farewell send-off is given to an apostle. A communion Passover is observed with Paul and the disciples and Pentecost, the Sukkot in Jerusalem. Wow. Memorable. Special, for sure. But guess what, beloved? So is the next day. That's why Luke says, and the next day. And the next day. And all of these boring days when nobody falls from a window and dies and gets resurrected. When no church was established. When no holy supper is observed by anyone. Yes, on that next day when not much happened on the calendar as is typical, as we mentioned last Wednesday, of most of the days of our lives. That's almost every day of our life. That day is meaningful. 
That day, beloved, is powerful. It matters. You know, Passover began tonight at sundown. Actually, it's 7.39 at sundown. So, six more minutes. Passover officially begins. That's a big moment for our Jewish friends in this area. Seven minutes from now. This Friday is called Good Friday. Sunday is Easter. Next month, there will be Mother's Day, and then, of course, Memorial Day. In two weeks, it's Earth Day. If you think about it, especially here in the West, where most of us were born and raised, children in modern society, at least since 1920 or so, have been taught to live from one special day to the next. She just looked forward to the next special event, one after another. That's why you have bulletin boards in school, and it's got the the back-to-school bulletin board, and then there's the Halloween bulletin board, and then there's the Thanksgiving one, and then there's Christmas, and New Year's, and Valentine's, and Easter, and Memorial Day picnics, and so on, and so on. And between all those fun days, there are milestones, like I turn 13, I turn 16, I get my license, high school graduation, 21st birthday, college graduation, wedding anniversary, the big 3-0, the big 4-0, the big 5-0, the big 1-0-0 over here. I don't know some of you are. And it goes on and on. Is there anything more hyped and more overrated than the big day called the Super Bowl? Right? For so many people, that's their life. Life is just made up of relatively few scattered days on a calendar that are held up almost, I would say, artificially as especially notable. Those are the days we live for. A man can be a jerk all year long, but if he gives his wife some flowers on anniversary or on Valentine's, he's suddenly husband of the year in his own mind, right? A Christian in name can play golf or fish every Sunday, But if he dresses up and comes to church for Christmas and Easter, he's somehow Mahatma Billy Graham or something all of a sudden, right? And of course, the whole world is supposed to come to a standstill because, you know, Jimmy Boy is graduating from high school as if I had any choice or our high schoolers here are graduates. I love you guys. But you know what? It's not that hard in America to graduate from high school. Just saying. You have to do it. Even though the real substance of life itself are the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days before graduation. That's what real life is. Insignificant days, boring days, tedious days, work days, Mondays. Just those days of labor, travel, routine, study, practice, cleaning. And, you know, Christians have spiritualized this dynamic to a science. As soon as one conference is over, where you got excited, and I'm for them, believe me. But as soon as the conference is over, you got to go to another one. Because the Holy Spirit can't be as real on laundry day as on that exciting conference day. Or on Monday. You know, rainy rainy days and Mondays, I won't say, always get me down. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. I, God himself 
established in the Bible a lot of days, a lot of memorials. He's the author of the Sabbath rest. But I'm telling you, if you look carefully at all of those days that God himself established, you look at them and see how our Lord, what our Lord did. Our Lord healed on the Sabbath, and people are like, how dare you ruin our special day? And the Lord was taking that and saying, look, every day is special. When I'm working in your midst, you see how God often, on those so-called special days, how God himself worked especially strong just before it or just after it. You'll see that one of the great purposes of those specific days was really just for God to remind his people that every single day is meaningful if you're a child of a living God. Look, think of this. Every day, God is on his throne. Every day, God is answering prayers. Every day, God loves you. Oh, I hate Mondays. You hate Mondays? God loves you on Mondays. Every day. Every day, God's word is true. Every single day, God saves a soul. More than one. All over the world. Every day, every single day, you can witness to someone who's lost. You know what that means? Every day is evangelism day. Every day. Every day in the world, a baby is born. Every time I go to Jupiter Medical or Gardens Hospital, any hospital basically, most any, St. Mary's, you're in there and you know they'll play those songs, those little lullabies when someone's born. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Not that many? Okay, well, if you go to these hospitals now and you're sitting there in a the room, you're here, you're here, do, 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 do. It's like a baby was just born. It's pretty awesome. Think about that all over the world. Every day a baby's born. Every day a life is changed. Every day somebody in the world, many somebodies, is being baptized in obedience to the Lord. Every single day there's rejoicing, therefore. You know, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels and one sinner repents. Every day there's rejoicing in heaven. Think about this for a minute. The Bible says you're, we're supposed to rejoice with them that rejoice. Well, if everybody's, if every day somebody's getting sa saved and everybody in heaven's rejoicing every day, we're supposed to rejoice with them. Rejoice. I guess we're supposed to rejoice every day. Yes. But pastor, just because every day somebody's baptized or somebody else is saved or has a baby or wins this victory doesn't mean it's happening to me. Oh, so I guess the universe doesn't revolve around you as we all thought. But you know what? It does revolve around the God you serve. And you're in his kingdom. And that means as a child of God, every day is full of meaning. As we noted recently when King George of England wrote in his diary, July 4th, 1776, nothing much happened today. Mm -hmm. Nothing much on that side of the pond, but it was a powerful day on this side. Something happens every day in God's kingdom, and you're a subject of the king. You're a part of his kingdom. Every single day is a holy day. The Lord's day and the next day. Eutychus' resurrection day, yep, and the next day. Valentine's Day and the next day. Remember that, guys. And the next day. You know, they sell those cheap Russell Stover chocolates, BOGO at Publix for Valentine's. You can buy two. Therefore, give her one that day and the next day. And both days she'll be annoyed that you're so cheap that you bought her BOGO. 
But every day is a gift. Do you ever consider what Paul did on the next day after Eutychus was raised to life? And the Bible says he preached until midnight. We've preached on this before. I think that I think the sermon title was going afoot. But this is amazing to me. Now remember, think about this. Paul preached till midnight. He's exhausted. Also, he's in a hurry because it, we just read a moment ago that it says he's hasted that he could get to Jerusalem by, by Pentecost, right? So he's in a hurry. So why does he do what he does next? Here it is, verse 12. Look at it. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. That means they were really comforted. And we went before to ship to get on the boat and sail to Asos. There, intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. Wait a minute, what? Here's what he did. He says, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to take the long way. He's basically saying, instead of taking the easiest, the fastest way, now he's in a hurry, because we know he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Instead of taking the easiest, fastest way to Asos, Paul says, listen, you go ahead on the boat. I'm going to walk 25 miles and be alone. Quote, for so he had appointed. It says, thus making the next day. Say, so, well, that was a great, amazing day when he raised up Eutychus, preached till midnight, must be exhausted. The next day was holy because Paul was just alone with God walking. You go on ahead, I'll be alone. I'll walk this 25 miles. Every day is meaningful. Tomorrow is a holy day, beloved, for you. Tomorrow is. And it's just Thursday. It's a day that ends in Y. It's a holy day for you. The second thing you'll notice, number two, is every day is managed. It's managed by God. Notice how this chapter begins. Verse 1 again. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now again, when it says, after the uproar was ceased, that's the uproar that we started with in chapter 19, a bunch of haters. These Diana worshipers wanted to kill Paul. It's that uproar. Then it says in verse 3, And there abode three months when the Jews laid wait for him. What's that mean? That means they were waiting to kill him. They're plotting, devising a scheme to kill him. More danger, more uproar. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me. Why? By the lying in wait of the Jews. His own people. What does that mean, lying in wait? It means they're hiding. They're scheming. They want to kill him. So where he goes, here, there, here, there, all these next days, somebody's there with a dagger and wants to kill him. Verse 22. And now, Paul says, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except, save, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. He says, I know one thing. I know that if I go there and when I go there, even more danger. Uproar, uproar. That's why he says this day's uproar. Uproar after uproar after danger after danger. Paul's surrounded every day by enemies, dangers, trials, and attacks. He must have been paralyzed by fear. Just dreading every single day. Actually, read it again. 
Verse 23, say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, every time I go to a city, bonds, that's jail, and afflictions abide me. Here's the next line, but none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear to myself. No, he wasn't paralyzed by fear because he knew that every day was managed by God, maintained by God. Meaning what? Meaning that he knew that nothing could happen to him outside of God's will for his life. Wow. For example, verse 24 again. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. This goes back to that one message when we said, if you have to die to self every day, Jesus said, every day, take up your cross. Once you do that, it's all good. You don't have to worry about the dangers and the dangers. All right, keep reading. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course, my race, my life with joy. Paul wanted to finish his race. So do I. So do you, right? Don't you? God has a race for you. But he says he wants to finish it in the will of God with joy. How can that happen when you have every day is a danger? Every day is a tear, a trial. How can you finish it with joy? You got all these people lying in wait and all the empires against him and his fellow uh, Jews are against him and there's shipwrecks and arrests and wild beasts. How is he ever going to finish his race with joy? It's got to be a nervous wreck. But he says, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. You can't threaten me with heaven. I'm a child of God. You know what else he says? Years after this, as you all know in Timothy, he says, quote, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now I am ready to be offered. He finished his course. And guess what? So will you. Whatever it is that God has for you, his will, that is, you're going to finish. All the days of dangers and afflictions and risks and fears, they will not, cannot alter the plan of God for your life. Pastor Blaylock, the enemies. The uproars. Yes. And what's verse 1 say? And after the uproar was ceased, that day's uproars, they always cease. This too shall pass. Beloved, remember that next time a mob, mob comes up against you. None of these things move me, Paul says. I just want to finish my course, whatever God has for me, with joy. You know, the most danger-ridden man on earth was Paul in the most dangerous world, probably in the history of earth. He finished his course with joy. Think of that. If he can do that, surely we can in this society and today. It wasn't because he was awesome, which he was. He did it with joy because his God was awesome. Because with God, every day is managed by God. You know what the Lord wants you to do today and then tomorrow, which is the next day and the next day and the next day? Stop fretting so much. Yes. Be careful for nothing, the Bible says. Stop fretting. Stop living in constant fear of pesticides and 
terrorists, earthquakes, abductions. Oh, Pastor, I watched Dateline. Abductions, bacteria, solar flares. I don't know, the NSA, drones, asteroids, HIV, Chinese weather balloons. Scary clowns, whatever it is. Avalanche. Pastor, that's not me. I don't fear avalanches. I live in Florida. It says gators. It's those drivers on I-95. Okay, that you should be afraid of. Amen, all of us. <laughs> How do you know that God doesn't want me to fear? Because the ro- most repeated command in all of the Bible is fear not. That's the single most repeated command in all of Scripture. And the Bible says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Well, if God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, who gave it to you? If that's what you have. Every day is managed. Today's managed. It's taken care of by God. So is the next day. Oh, Pastor, what about so is the next day, so is the next day, and the day after that. And so it will be until you have finished your course, and which you should finish with joy. God is in control. Even, Paul says, even though I know bonds and afflictions abide me. In every city, everywhere I go, I know I'm going to be thrown into jail. When Some people, when they check into town, they check into a hotel. Paul always checked into the nearest jail. Third thing. Every day is meaningful. Every day is managed. And then number three, and this is, this is one that, man, I'm telling you, if, if this is ever grasped by a child of God, the rest is gravy. Every day is measured. Look at verse 15. It says, And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios, and the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium, and the next day we came to Miletus. It sounds like days are clicking by, right? Just next day this happened, next day this happened, fast and short days. That other day when Paul preached at midnight, well, guess what that was? That was a long day. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses the word long. Look at verse 7. Don't miss this. The last line, it says that Paul was ready to depart on the morrow, the next day, and continued his speech, his preaching, until midnight. I, I should try that. Eight, nine, ten, we've got four hours and ten more minutes. Somebody's going to fall asleep in here. Until midnight. Okay, look at verse 9. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, that's a long day, right? I don't know what time he started preaching, but that's a long day. Long day. Actually, it's the exact same as verse 15, next day, next day, next day. It's still 24 hours. Follow me carefully. It's still 24 hours. Every day has the same amount of minutes and hours as the one before it. Every day. Because guess what, folks? Every time the Bible evaluates time, and the Bible evaluates time over and over and over again, every single time it does so, the Bible shows us that God gives a commentary on a man's life. Always the evaluation is the same. Every day is brief. Time is fleeting. Every day, the Bible says, is a vapor. A lifetime is a vapor. It's in the Bible a blade of grass. 
It's a flower that appears and then fades. It's like a snowflake on a warm rock. All these references to days, you see the one in verse 3 about the day there, both there three months. Last part is verse 6 we looked at, five days, and then it says seven days. Last part of verse 7, until midnight and on the morrow. Last part of verse 11, it says, and talked a long while even till the break of day. So he departed all the way down to verse 31. It just goes on and on. The last one down there talks about three years. That's a long period of time, right? Three years. Not really. Because there's verse 38. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Sorrowing that they'll never see Paul again, not on this earth. It's a poignant scene, as we mentioned. I wonder if a year ago, think about this for a moment, if one year before this moment right here at this shore, if a year ago they took for granted the time that they had together. I wonder how many times the first year Paul was there, they didn't stay awake while Paul was teaching or preaching. Or they just stayed away as if that day would last forever. That moment, that time, that season would last forever. Beloved, look, the people you love, you enjoy, you influence, you minister to, you realize that one day on this earth, you will see their face no more. You will see their face. That's talking about face-to-face communion. No more on this earth. That we could fill these pews three times over with people that we love that are gone. You realize, therefore, that every single day is measured. And the measurement from heaven is that it's that quick. Well, stop bickering so much. Stop making mountains out of molehills. Stop wasting time on matters that don't matter. And whether it's five days, three days, three months, or three years, Every day is measured, and the measurement is brief. Last week, we noted how in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. Remember when Jesus said that? They said, we're going to kill you. This is the end of it. You're done. And Jesus said, no, no, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. He knew that God was managing and measuring his days. Well, which of those days in the ministry of Jesus, those three and a half years that he was on earth ministering, which of those days for the Son of God was not meaningful? You want to tell me there was a single day in Jesus' life when he's sawing wood one day? As a carpenter's son? Was Was it not meaningful? Tell me which of those days in our Lord's life was not managed? That the Father in heaven... You know, he, he looked down at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well pleased with what? He hadn't even started his ministry yet. Well pleased as a man. That's what. Which of those days lasted forever? This is the day which the Lord hath made. This is it. We will rejoice 
course we will. And be glad. You don't have to wait until your birthday. Can't wait until my birthday so I can be happy. You don't have to wait until your birthday. You don't have to wait until Christmas Day. You don't have to wait till Thanksgiving to be thankful. The power behind every successful child of God in their Christian life, as revealed in Scripture, is perspective. That's what we've been preaching on week after week after week here. Paul could only say none of these things move me because he had the right perspective. The only way he could actually say and mean it with conviction, none of these things move me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to stone me to death, try to. And he ended up in Caesarea prison for two years. The only reason you can say none of these things move me, shipwrecks, beatings, cat of nine tails, stoned outside of Lystra, dragged out of the city, none of these things move me. The only way he could say that is he had perspective. It was true. Our Lord's perspective was eternity. Always eternity. Well, we're his subjects in his kingdom. And we are called to the same eternal perspective. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take us from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. Day by day. Louise used to sing that song all the time. She's living it now. Let's take each day for what it is, a gift from God. Not a day to be afraid, not a day to waste, not a day to focus on little things, but a day to give God glory. And God's people said, amen. amen. Father, thank you for, again for your word. And how many times we are and have been reminded and need to be reminded over and over again the truth of eternity, the truth of these hours and days and months that you give us to live. May we recognize the brevity of time. But may we also recognize, Father, that you're on your throne. You're in charge of every day in our lives. And though Paul would one day be beheaded at a relatively young age, the prime of his life sent to glory, we recognize that he still said he finished. He finished what you had for him. And we will do the same. Help us to trust you to that. In Jesus' name we pray. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.